Life is easy. People make it hard. I've lived 10 lives by the time I was 21. From being a criminal, from being sexually abused, from being homeless. Everyone always says to me out in Hollywood or music business, everyone's like, what is it about you Boston guys? You always figure it out. When you're the top boss, the little time it takes for you to just say good job or even have a note sent to their desk. Hey, we really appreciate having you here. Things like that, not only do they want to work harder for you, but now what they do is they go home and they treat their husband or wife better. People are willing to go to the gym and work out and they'll go work out and they're like, no pain, no gain. Well, why don't you apply that to your life? No pain in your life. You won't have any gain in your life. All right, Clinton, you've done this once or twice. So this is uh, this is nothing new for you, my man. And like I said before, we went live, I love your background. I think it kind of represents a lot of who you are and your personality and the accolades, man. You've put in the work over the years. I've heard nothing of great things about you. We've chatted a little bit in the DMs uh, over the year or so. But it's finally nice to put a name to a face. And I see you pointing there. Is that the OG Larry? Uh, well, you say things that represent me, Boston. There it is. Right. Yeah, you uh, right. love Boston, man. I went there for the first time and going to be transitioning my life there. It's going to be exciting. Uh, actually, first time kind of putting that out there. So, yeah, fantastic city. Six what are you most proud of? I'm curious about what you're most proud of. You have a lot of accolades. You've crushed it in the music industry. You're crushing it in business. You're crushing it as a podcast host. Uh, it seems like you're crushing it as a husband as well. Uh, that might we'll just ask my idea. wife. We could do an interview with my wife. Yeah, we might need to ask her. Get get some dirt on you here. But no, man. Like, what are you? What are you most proud of? What would you say? Uh, or a couple of things that come to mind. Like, that was a transformative moment in your life and your career the thing i'm most proud of is um is being a great present dad is and obviously someone can self-proclaim themselves as being great at something but um i know that i'm great uh for a couple of reasons one because i studied what it takes to be a great dad i know what a shitty dad is uh because i've dealt with that and my children are all happy. And my 19-year-old, in fact, she we're best friends. We've been best friends since he was born. Uh, but we talk about things. I've never, I never yelled at my kids. I never reprimand them or punish them. I talk to them. Uh, I, and I listen to them. And I don't tell them what to do. I give them options and show them what's available to them. And they can make their own decision. I'm there for advice and guidance. But I don't tell them what to do. And my son's 19. And he's as great of a son as you could ever ask for. He's thriving. And he's sought after now uh, in the industry that he decided he wanted to be excel in, which is being a, you know, a director, a producer, a writer, a shooter, editor. He's only 19. He's already like people are calling him. Um, in fact, he's just moved out, which I'm going to get emotional. <laughs> so I'm proud and I'm happy. But I'm also devastated because, you know, I don't know what it's going to be like not seeing my best friend every single day. So I'm really proud of the work that I put in, the decision I made as a child that when I grow up, I'm going to be an awesome dad. And it was one of the two things I only cared about since I was 13, which was to be a great dad and to make people happy. And those are the least, I never cared about making a lot of money. I never cared about anything else that you know, ended up being part of my life. But those weren't goals. Those just happened to be things I did in the process of building the life that I wanted, that I built by design, uh, not by circumstance. So because my dad wasn't around and because the neighborhood I grew up in 
Uh, I realized what a, what a shitty dad was, an alcoholic father was, being abandoned by your father and stuff like that. I, I vowed I would be the opposite. And in fact, a quick story um, of how even my dad who left me uh, realized I'm a great dad. Uh, so I was a criminal growing up in Boston in my teenage years. I used to rob houses and steal cars and stuff. And then my mom was sick of getting me from uh, jail. So at 15, she's like, I'm not dealing with this shit anymore. I'm sitting here to your fucking father. So I'm, uh, I'm like, I'm moving to the fucking suburbs with the hicks and headbangers. And because uh, I'm from the city. So I'm like wearing Adidas suits, you know, shell toes and like, you know, I'm going to move out there with the kids that all listen to like heavy metal and wear jean jackets and like, you know, Slayer shirts and stuff. Right. So I'm, uh, I, uh, end up moving out there with my dad. So it was a culture shock too. Cause I didn't, I never knew what suburban life was like, you know, families that are together and the mom drives the kids to football practice. The dad owns a construction site. Like they all hang over like Jimmy's house on Saturday and the mom gets some pizza and shit. Like that's a foreign world to me. Right. So I go and I hang out and then, you know, I still have the crimin city criminal bone in me a little bit. I changed a lot, but I still had a little bit out there. And then I would get in trouble at school a lot. And my dad would say a line that really bothered me. And it was, I didn't raise you that way. And, you know, when I finally became like, you know, 18, I was like, you know, dad, you didn't fucking raise me. I don't like when you say that shit. And um, we got into a big father-son fight, as a lot have at 18 years old, when your teenager becomes a man. Uh, so we had that big fight. We're yelling at each other. And um, I said the line, when I grow up, I'm going to be a way better father than you are. And then he was like, yeah, you'll see, Clint, life happens and things don't work out the way you want. And I was like, whatever. And I leave. And I don't talk to that guy for years. So then around like 22, I um, started thinking about my dad. And I was thinking about what, what happened to my father when he was young that didn't allow him to be the man I needed him to be for me. And when I care enough to, do, to wonder that and then go look into it, instead of just woe is me or F him and you weren't there for me, I realized, you know, his father beat him he had, he was sexually abused uh, and he was sent to Vietnam. You know what I mean? He comes back a full-blown alcoholic and like, how can you expect someone that went through that to be a sound dude in his young 20s and be a good dad? So when I realized that, my resentment turned into empathy and I went to my father. By the way, that was, a, that was one of the first keys of life I learned. <clears throat> and so I went back to my father and we became like best friends. Now, fast forward, and this is how it ties into what we started with. I now have a son named Jack. He's about, I don't know, four. My dad calls me one day and says, oh, let's go to dinner. I want to take you to dinner. So we go to dinner. Nothing out of the ordinary. After we have dinner, we're driving home. And he's pulling over on the side of the road. It's kind of like a four-lane road. And I'm like, what, what are you pulling over for? He goes, I got to tell you something. I go, you can't fucking drive and talk? Right. And he goes, uh, yeah, was, you know, it's going to tell you something. So I'm like, ah, oh, shit, is this guy going to tell me he's dying cancer or something? So then, uh, he pulls over and he pauses for a minute and you can tell he's kind of holding back his feelings, but he has something important to say. So I had no clue what he was going to say, and I'm thinking he's going to tell me he's dying. 
And he kind of looks out this way and he looks at me with a kind of teary eyes and he puts his hand on my shoulder. Ah, my head gets me every time. <clears throat> and he says, I just want you to know you're a better father than I was. And, you know, the profound part in that story is one, I was fucking right. <laughs> but, but, but two, over is to get that kind of cosign and endorsement from somebody who's recognized that he wasn't the father he needed to be. And to remember that I said to him years earlier, I'm going to be a way better father than you. How that must have stuck with him forever. You know, what are we now? We're like eight, nine years later. That's something that he remembered. For him to say that line was a continuation of me saying that line to him a decade earlier. So how much that impacted him to then recognize and be able to be a man enough to recognize and acknowledge and say to me, you are in fact a better father than I am. And I'm proud of the man that you became for your son. So, um, yeah, that's how I know I'm a good dad. <laughs> uh, the proof's in the pudding, man. It's not just my opinion. By the way, nothing's my opinion or just based off my personal taste, whether it's me giving you advice, whether it's building a company, whether it's, you know, talking to my employees, whether it's leading a company, whether it's talking to investors. I never just hype you or tell you what to do based off my personal opinion on what I think. Everything I talk about, I, if you argue with me and I'm debating back, you should probably stop because Clinton knows what he's talking about if he's arguing. I will be the first person to say, you know what, man? I don't know enough about this to really debate about it. Maybe you're right. I don't know. So if I tell you an opinion, it's based off research, experience. I vetted it out. It's also because of this robust life I live, this intuition that I have that most people that I will be debating or go against don't have the insane, eclectic, robust life. They lived 10 lives by the time I was 21. From being a criminal, from being sexually abused, from being homeless, from being bullied, from, you know, being the only white kid in black neighborhoods to then moving to white neighborhoods to my mother having gays and lesbians living with us and all her friends were black and Latinos. So like I was exposed to everything, you know, very early in life that like I understand so many different ways of thinking, the psychology of so many different cultures, you know, the feelings, the mentalities. And so like when I build things and I think of things, I'm thinking of everyone because I understand everyone. So I don't build or talk about things or do things just talking about this one type of person. And if I am, I'll be very clear, like, look, I'm only talking about men right now. I know women have a different perspective and I know that perspective. But right now I'm just talking about this. So I have so many different perspectives because of the life that I live. And I never just give advice or direction or guidance based off my personal opinion or what I think is the right thing. Yeah, and that's allowed you to absolutely crush it in your career, whether it's been in music, whether it's been in uh, your consulting firm is the self-awareness, right? The self-awareness to have empathy with your father. Your father had the self-awareness to pull off of the side road and share that statement with you because it really stuck. Um, and he was witnessing it as well, right? By you guys reconnecting. But let's come back to like the self-awareness and trends, right? Like that's that's something that you've executed very well as consumer behavior, right? Like what people want and or they don't even know they want it yet. And, and you're on the forefront of that. So sometimes I'm a little stacked. I'm too early. 
Most times I'm convincing people for years of yeah. like, because I can forecast trends. I feel it. I know what's going on because I'm paying attention. I listen, right? So even gaming, you know, obviously gaming has been around for much longer than what it, when I got involved, which is early 2017. But mainstream in culture, in hip hop, was not up on it, right? And like investors and Wall Street and all that stuff, they weren't hip to the money, the audience, the psychology, the trajectory of growth. So it was me for a couple of years, like trying to convince, you know, all the biggest rappers in the world, like this is next, right? I'm going to everybody, to Snoop, to Puff, to like, you name it. I'm like, guys, you got to get involved. This is what's going on over here. It's a biggest athletes to Mark Wahlberg. And I called Mark Wahlberg one day and I go, hey, dude, um, what do you know about gaming? He was like, shit. And I was like, your kids game? He's like, yeah. And I go, how, you know, how much do they game? He goes, ah, I let them game like two hours a week. I go, dude, imagine if you and your mom and my mom only let us do music for two hours a week. Neither one of us would be here today. He was like, all right. So I started explaining it to him. By the time I was done talking, he's like, honey, we got to let our kids play some more fucking games. Right. So like, you know, it was like so many people I was trying to hit. And now it's become so much bigger. And even then, you know, it was kind of a esports bubble. Everybody was investing in it. Now everybody lost their shirts, right? Um, because nobody was doing it the way that I was saying it should be done. Even the company phase, which I helped bring to a billion dollar IPO, and my other company, Exit, uh, which I helped bring to a $65 million valuation. Like, I have a vision on the way things can be done correctly and in a way that would be more digestible and acceptable and understood. And in a way that people that typically wouldn't feel like they should be a part of it now feel invited or have interest in it because I built a way for them to have uh, relatability or connectability to it. And that's where most companies and most leaders get it wrong is they think they just have a great product and they just try to figure out clever marketing ways to convince you that this is an awesome product and that you need it. And they get mad or upset or bothered or frustrated when they're like, why doesn't anybody understand us? Why doesn't anybody understand how great this is? When the reality is, it's not that they don't understand you, it's you don't understand them, which is why you're not able to convey or connect in a way that makes them see the value of what it is that you're offering or what you have to provide. Did you grow up with Mark Wahlberg, by the way? Yeah, we all grew up same, we're all around the same age and grew up in the same neighborhoods. New kids on the block, Matt and Ben and Mark and Donnie. Danny Wood lived like from New Kids on the Block, lived a couple of houses down. So like we're, we're all, it's funny because I came up with a theory recently. And you, you gotta know this when you move to Boston. Should be what always says to me out in Hollywood or music business. Everyone's like, what is it about you Boston guys? You just, you always figure it out, right? It's just, you just guys just figure it out. And we all have like a kind of matter of fact, get to the point, you know, sarcastic kind of personalities which is, is very crass or likable, right? Depending who you are. But I came up with this theory recently and I shared it with some of them and they were like, yeah, dude. So I was like, I think the reason we're so matter of fact and to the point is because we're so used to being fucking cold. So we're just like, yeah, dude, what are you going to say? Just fucking say it. Hurry up, hurry up. Let's go. I got to go. It's freezing out here. So like, I think that's where it came from, you know, from back in the eighties, where it's just so fucking cold, man. Just say what you got to say, man. It's enough with the fucking shit chat. Just tell me. And like, and that's another thing too, is like a lot of people don't realize that it's not common where somebody really actually cares, just wants to get to the point 
and we don't have to dance around it. Just tell me what you want. I'll tell you if I can do it or not. Right. And it's like, and I feel like, well, you know, da, 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 da. it's like, I'm sitting here and then I become a dick to them because I'm just like, dude, just get to the point. Right. And it's like, and they think I'm being an asshole when it's really, you're being the asshole, wasting my time or taking too long to get to the point. I got shit to do. If you got a favor to ask me, just ask me. I'm going to do it if I can do it. The odds are I'm going to do it. But just tell me what it is so I can figure out my head really quick. This guy, I think very fast. My mind is like a five lane highway and they're all fast lanes. So like, I need you to tell me so I can throw it in a lane and put it in what I got to do as opposed to just like, which like you know, one thing that's a pet peeve of mine is having the same conversation over and over or being on an hour phone call that could be done in 10 minutes, right? And it's like, I don't want to hear because nine times out of 10, I'll say what we should do. Then I hear a whole bunch of opinions. We come back around an hour later, we're right back to what I said we should do. So it's like, everybody just wants to be heard and I get it. That's the thing in life. Everybody wants an opportunity. They want love and they want to be heard, right? And I get it. And you want to do as a leader, there's a fine balance of like, we got shit to do and let's not waste time to allowing everybody to be heard. Right. So you have to figure out how to let people feel like they were heard without like being a little bit crass or abrasive about like, all right, here's what we're doing. Here's what we got to do. So as a leader, you got to figure out how you do that. I have a whole podcast just on how to do that. Right. Do you think a lot because you had mentioned that you are most proud of being a present dad, but you have a lot going on. So like, how do you uh, detach in terms of being present and or I'm kind of curious on like the the concept of thinking, because when you know what needs to be done, it's because you likely spent a lot of time thinking about it and go, seen this before. Ah, this is what needs to be done. Or it's something that is like a new idea, a new venture. But again, you've spent the investment of time thinking through the potential outcomes. So do you do like a lot of thinking or... Like yeah, about- I don't, I don't, I, I do. I, I actually probably think too much. I don't know how to turn the thinking off, you know, when I take a vacation, right? So it's, it's a gift and a curse. I like, don't do things in life based off money. I'm not like, where can I make a lot of money, right? I think about even like my, even what I did as a, you know, in, as in music, you know, I, you find something you love to do and you make it the thing that, that you make money doing, right? Um, I don't do things or get involved with things unless I see that they can connect cultures, help uplift people, you know, advance uh, an industry in a way. This, I mean, there's tons of stuff I could have done that like would just make me a shit ton of money and doesn't, you know, do anything bigger than just make me a lot of money. And then I can get on the internet and be like, hey, you want to know how to make a lot of money? Look at my Lambo. Look what I've done and set it out. It's like, who gives a shit, man? Like, I don't want to do things or make a lot of money unless it's also one, making it with other people, right? That they can benefit too. Like, let's do it together. And then two, as I said, help underserved communities, help open possibilities and opportunities to other people. So if you look at the history of all of my careers, of all of the businesses that I've started, they've all helped. And even when I go and consult people and get hired to consult a company, I'm thinking of ways of how you can connect to new audiences, how you can, you know, build new cultures around this or how you can make your employees happier or how like, you know, I was talking the other day about being a good boss and a leader at a company and like the, just really small things, just to going up to one of your employees and like, man, great job, dude. You know what I mean? Or like, I see what you did the other day or thanks a lot for doing this. And, you know, you might think like, well, they're getting paid. 
or, you know, their boss can do that for them, like their department leader or whatever, right? But here's, here's the trickle effect of what that does. Even you're the top boss, obviously everyone's like looking at you as the, the, the big guy or girl in this company. And like the little time it takes for you to just say good job or even have a, a note sent to their desk saying, hey, we really appreciate having you here. Or even going a step further, like I know you've been working a lot. Here's a $50, $100 gift certificate. Take your wife to dinner or your husband to dinner. Just things like that. What that does for the spirit of the company is not only do they want to work harder for you, not only are they always going to sing your praises, not only are they going to go above and beyond when you need them to, but now what they do is they go home and they treat their husband or wife better because they're happier. They're treating their kids better, right? They're, they're, they come home to a happy home. Think about it. When you go home stressed out or bothered or feel like unappreciated, you go home annoyed and then you're quick to snap on something that doesn't deserve to be snapped on. So really being a good leader isn't just the bottom line, isn't just making the, you know, the investors happy. It's also like keeping your employees happy, keeping the customers, keeping partners, business, get on a phone call with one of the brands that your sales team like locked in. Hey, thank you so much for believing in our company. We really appreciate it, man. I'm so glad that you believe in what we're doing. We're going to go above and beyond for you. If you ever have a problem, please, here's my email. Like, dude, you know what? And like, so like, to me, that's such a no brainer. That's just being a human, right? But it's so weird how like 99% of people are not that. It's like, well, I'm too busy. I don't think about that. Now I say this to go back to your question. You know, part of building a great life or building my life by design is treating my family just as important or a priority as the businesses that I'm building. So it's not like I ain't got time. I'm building this business. They are also equally part of the life that I wanted to have. So I built the family that I've always wanted that I never had. So why would I neglect them now or treat them like it's secondary to something else? I won. I made my dream become real and I worked to do that. So I'm not going to do anything to jeopardize it, like cheat on my wife or like neglect them or like, you know, it's, it's not cool. It's not manly. It's not heroic, but I could go into a whole nother podcast of why people do cheat and why people are trying to fulfill something that's not being filled over here. So they go find things over here or with other outlets. To me, when they, life is easy. People make it hard. And you've been around, I mean, you're a big name, but you've been around big names, right? Like anyone you do business with that you've done business with, it's all big names and you're in Boston and you go to LA and there's a lot of noise, a lot of chatter. Make, you know, you see circumstances popping up right now with like, you know, Diddy, right? No one's perfect, right? And, and obviously when you're to his level, everything's under a microscope. But rule number one, don't mess with 50 Cent, I guess. Uh, Curtis Jackson, keep your head uh, in the swivel. Me and Fifty on good terms. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. That, well, that's step in one. In fact, I'm, I'm, in fact, it's so odd that you bring up his name. I'm literally reaching out to him today about my new company that I'm building that he needs to be involved with. I'm too so that's funny you say that because one, the one and only Curtis Jackson. He is the reason why I love hip hop and rap music. Uh, I was in like second grade, like eight, nine years old. My father had just passed, and I grew up in small town Ohio in a cornfield where everyone's listening to country music. And I was uh, in my room listening to uh, Get Rich or Die Trying, thinking I was from the streets of New York, like like 50 Cent. No, clearly not the case. Uh, but yeah, love uh, love 50 Cent. But my how would one get brand deals, get investors, get deals done, get people on board? Like it seems like that's what you're best at is 
getting people on board, whether it's raising money, whether it's pitching them an idea, whether it's any type of business or relationship that you're building and scaling, like how do you get people on board? Well, I do it because I am fortunately put, I fortunately put myself in a position that I have access to the people that I need to do that with. And it was with intent because like, I can't stress enough. I built my life by design. I knew what I wanted to do five years from now, 10 years from now. I knew what my ultimate goals were and I made a plan. And that's what most people don't do. They have an idea. And an idea is much different than a plan. When people will have an idea of, I want to build a business. I want to make a lot of money. I want to do this. Great, great idea. What's the realistic plan? And then you have to have patience. You also have to set milestones to know if you're winning or you're losing at that plan and keep score uh, of the plan while you're on it. So I never wanted to be a DJ. That was never even my, my goal. It just really worked out. I used being a DJ as a means to get to a, a, a value, uh, to become a value prop for artists, right? And for executives at record labels and brands to now want to do business with me. And the, the, the quick way I realized that is when I was young, I was always want to be the guy behind the scenes that made everybody else successful. But because I was like a nobody kid from Boston, it was, it was hard for people to believe that I had the right answers, right? Um, which I always end up having them. And like, you know, as a kid, I didn't know why I had the right answers. I just did. Right. But as I got older, I think back about it. Now I realize because it's like if you see Slumdog Millionaire and, and you watch that movie, you'll see the guy had the answers because the questions that were asked, he reflected on his life and he had the answers because the life he lived. Right. So it's like, oh, shit. When I watched the movie, I was like, that's why I have all the answers. Right. And like it's still. And, but then you run into people like, why we go with yours? You think you have all the right answers. And it's hard, especially when you're younger. to Say, yeah, I kind of do have the right answers because no one's going to believe that you have a better answer than them or you're smarter than them. And ironically, we as humans, we will honor and praise and title somebody the goat because they have physical attributes that we don't have. He can throw a football. He can dunk a basketball. So we'll all collectively be like, that guy's better than us. He's the goat. He's amazing. Let's wear his name on our shirt, right? But we won't do that same thing if somebody where we grew up happens to have a brilliant fucking mind because in our minds or most people's minds, it's like you came from the same place as me. Why would you be smarter than me? Why should we listen to your way? And like, that's your fault for not being able to recognize who may have a different way of thinking that's different than yours that may have better ways of problem solving, better ways of communicating, better ways of understanding, right? Or networking. So anyways, uh, sorry, this is part of the five lane highway. Um, but I knew early that I wanted to get into business and I wanted to do marketing, right? And I knew that I had the kind of brain that knew how to take something and make it better. And I started doing that with songs. So I would remix songs, right? As a way of showing how to make something better, right? And then there was a local DJ who I befriended. So what I would do is I would make his show better by creating intros and different mixes for him. Then when like artists would come to town, I would run into them and go get drops from them. What a drop is, is like, yo, what's up, man? This is 50 Cent. You hanging out with, with Tyler Bosetti. You're familiar, right? So that's called a drop. So I would run around and I'd go get those for him. I didn't need them. I would get them for him because I knew getting that stuff for him would now give me access to being on the big radio station, being in the office there where I could now learn 
business and how that works. By doing that, I became, and I'm a funny guy, so they ended up making me the funny guy on the morning show. By doing that, it started making me locally kind of known. And also I became known. I always start, I start small. You all aim for the top and they miss everything in here. They, it's like trying to be at the top step before you walk up the steps, right? And I was very patient, understood. One step at a time is fine for me. I'm excited because I know the things I'm going to learn on each step is going to make me 10 times stronger when I get to the top. People want to get to the top and they think getting to the top makes them a hero. You know how many people I see get to the top or get a hit record or by accident get an investment and blow it and like lose their company? I see it all over and over and over and over again because they weren't prepared. They didn't have the information. They didn't have the experience. They didn't have the skills. They didn't have the network or resources to fall back on when things did get tough because they just tried to do it too fast. So I, as a youngster, knew that I needed to do one step at a time and I didn't. I was fine with that. And I realized by being on the radio how artists, like whether it was Pharrell or 50 Cent or whoever it was, when they did radio promo, they would do regions, right? So they do the whole Northeast. So I was like, oh man, I'm going to become a DJ and get myself on a bunch of radio stations that they see me every day at a different state. And like, in, you know, in our world, like you meet someone two times, that's your boy, right? Oh yeah, Tyler's my boy, man. It's like, once we do this podcast, someone says, you know, Clinton Sparks, odds are you're like, yeah, that's my boy. I had him on my podcast right? We don't know each other. We just kind of met, but that's just the world that we live in, right? So I know that. I know that psychology. So I built myself to become a DJ and got myself on Boston radio, Connecticut radio, New York radio, and Baltimore radio. I was live in four states on four stations every week. So now, and I was paying for it myself and I'm broke. I'm shoveling snow to get enough money to like pay for gas, get plane tickets, a Southwest plane ticket, like and then like now I'm starting to get little DJ money, $200 here, 250 there. So I'm using that money to build my brand and my business so I can build my network. So by doing all those radio stations now when Pharrell's in Boston, I see him. Well, let's use 50. 50's in Boston. Then he sees me the next day in Connecticut. Then he sees me in New York. He's like, man, what the fuck? You're, you're everywhere. And I was like, yeah, bro, that's why you need to be down with me because I can break your record in so many different areas. So now I became so valuable that I'm like a one-stop shop. Just get our record to Clinton. Let me do a freestyle for Clinton. Let me host Clinton's mixtape. Let me do a free show for Clinton. Why? Because now you know the value that I can provide by you doing. It's advantageous for you to be my friend. So I set myself up that way. And I did that over and over and over in all the industries that I did. And that it just became a snowball effect that then I, and I also knew that all the rich white guys wanted to be down with cool, right? And they want to be down with the dope. So if I'm dope and I'm doing dope shit, hanging out with dope people, it opens the door now for me to be down with them because they're dope to us. But they don't know that. They don't know that all of us in the hood and hip hop, we want to be down with you guys because you're the smart guys with money, right? So like, but I understood that concept. And that's why like with 50 Cent and Paris Hilton, I've always been the bridge between like MTV and BET my whole career. So like I'm hanging out with 50 Cent and I know he thinks Paris Hilton is cool and like, Yo, them white chicks out in Hollywood, man, they out there balling, da-da-da. But I also know Paris Hilton is like, oh my God, 50 Cent is so cool. It's mysterious and dangerous, and I love those guys. So I'm the guy in the middle that knows them both and introduces them both. But the reason I'm that guy, and 
as I became in the business because I was also that guy in school. I would sit in every lunch table at school and I'd sit with, you know, the, the jocks and then the black kids and then the headbangers and then the Asian kids and then the kids downstairs that you don't even know what they do all day until you see them at lunch. So like, I'm like the guy that was friends with everybody. I walk down the hall, I'm high-fiving everybody. I'm like, yo, hey dude, da 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 Dude, nice game this weekend. Hey dude, did you do well in your test? So I was that guy. Like I would go into the teacher's faculty lounge when I'm supposed to be in class and hang out with teachers. So I've always been like the personable guy that just like got along with everybody and wanted to understand everybody because I knew that this was just a vessel to dump information in. And the more information I have, I, it goes into this factory that then I can figure out how do I best utilize it to help everybody else. And that's just how I became who I am. I've never explained myself that way before, by the way. As I was saying, I was like, wow, what an interesting way to talk about how I was formed. Because yeah, one thing I've been thinking of a lot is, uh, so one, you use like your natural skill set of charisma because of your life experiences of understanding different races and different circumstances. Well, I had your... to learn how to talk because I had to get away from police and I had to get away from bullies and I had to out talk people that I was going to rob. You know what I mean? So there's like that was, but by the way, that came from a natural like survival instinct, right? It wasn't, I sat down, I was like, all right, what slick lies can I say? It was just it had to become instinctive because I had to outwit bullies. If I outtalked them, I can't tell you how many times I'd say something slick and walk away and they're like, wait, what the fuck did he say? And I'm already gone. You know what I mean? Like, uh, or like when I'm a white kid and I'm in like a black, all black neighborhood and I'm going to get, and I'm like cornered by a bunch of black dudes and I have to outtalk them in a way, I have to understand how to connect to their feelings, right? So I'm not just saying, come on guys, leave me alone. I'm bringing up stuff that's relatable to them or that's like, oh man, this dude's, this dude's kind of cool. He knows and da, 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 da. And I'm backing away as I'm like, yeah, man. And da, 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 da. And before you know it, I got enough space to run. You know what I mean? I, same with like police. I'm like, oh man, I don't know, man. I seen some kids over there. And as soon as the cop turns his back, phew, I'm over the fence. You know what I mean? So it was the art of like, hey, look over there. You know what I mean? It's like, and I could have used that to become a, a fucking evil, manipulative, greedy guy that just beat people for money, right? But like, I always cared, even as a kid, I was doing those things because I needed to survive. I didn't have the, the food. I didn't have the money. I didn't have the nice, you know what I mean? So they then realized when I, <clears throat> the turning point was I was going to rob a bank at like 19 with two of my friends and we staked it out for a couple of weeks. And like the day before it was going to get robbed, I was like, what am I doing, man? Like, if I get pinched, I'm going to, I'm, I'm done. So I called my buddies. and I was like, dude, I'm not doing this. And they ended up doing it and getting away with it. But I then called UPS and started my career, my life in legit, right? So I went and got a job at UPS and like all of my hustle and ability to my gift of gab uh, made me become a really great employee at UPS. Um, so good that like my supervisors and regional managers, like we punch it, punch it and we go golfing. Right. I was so good that like we loaded trucks and you know, like even the veterans would load like three trucks in the morning off the conveyor belt in the back of the truck so the guys can deliver packages. I was so good. They made a island with six trucks for just for me and I would train new people. So like that hustle that I've been doing, like not in a good position, made me so good at hustling and working hard that when I got into regular world, I was dominating because it was like. It's kind of when you put like the, the weight donuts on a baseball bat when you're swinging 
So you're swinging with heavy weight. So when you take it off, it's like, boom, you can hit so much. That's what life was to me for the first 20 years. I had this weight and this burden of like trauma and like being sexually abused for many years and being bullied and like being lonely and feeling unloved and like all of this weight that you don't know that you have on you. You don't know. It's just part of your normal life. And then when you do something that is different from that, you didn't realize you were in training for 20 years to just fucking be awesome. You know what I mean? So like if you're religious, I don't know if you're religious or not, but like I kind of look at this where God was like, you know what, man? I'm going to make you have the shittiest life. I'm sure he didn't say the word shitty, but you know, I'm, I'm translating. <laughs> like, I'm going to make you have a shitty life. You're going to go through all of this whack stuff because I'm going to make you so strong that when you come out on the other side, you're going to be able to take all you learned and teach other people how to survive because you got it. You got the strength and you have the ability to survive and, and go past this. And I'm going to make sure you're able to so that when you go through it all, all the learnings and all the lessons and everything that you went through this trauma and, and, and pain and hurt and loneliness, you're going to be a better guy on the other side and be able to help other people. You know what's funny, man, is that people are willing to go to the gym and work out. Man, I know we're cutting time short. And they'll go work out and they're like, no pain, no gain. We all know that saying, but no pain, no gain, right? Well, why don't you apply that to your life? No pain in your life. You won't have any gain in your life. So trauma, you know, sexual abuse, your, your mother was a drug addict, your dad beat you up. Instead of going through the rest of your life, you know, oh my God, this happened to me. Look at it the same way you look at going to work out and causing that pain to your muscles because you know on the other side, it's going to turn into great muscles. So look at all that bullshit you went through and don't hold on to it. Look at it. That was the pain so that you can gain a better life, a better perspective, better experience to go on and be happier and then be able to give the love that you didn't receive, build the happy that you didn't have, or like myself, build the family that you've always wanted. Uh, and let me cap it off. Build your life by design. Like this man does have a gift of gab. That is for sure. Bro, this was a pleasure. I, uh, I wouldn't be mindful of your time and we definitely got to stay connected. I know that because uh, we're boys now, right? Like, yeah, Clinton's my yeah, boy. Yeah, I mean, do. We do. We go back, man. Me and Tyler. Oh. We go way back. Yeah, it's cool actually to see a uh, side note. Your boy, Mark, he's he's making some moves here in Columbus, Ohio, like dealerships and everything he has going on. Yeah, so. he also just, it, uh, one of the reasons I'm moving to Vegas, uh, the Major League Baseball is going there, NBA is going there, Universal Studios is being built there. Mark, Mark is building the biggest movie studio there. My new company's headquarters will be out of Las Vegas. So, yeah, it's going to be exciting when you see three guys from Boston that go and dominate in Las Vegas. Dana White, Mark Wahlberg, Clinton Sparks. Like, there we go. The connector of them all. Clinton, anything else that you want to you wanna add? Uh, you said a lot of really good insight. This is one people are going to have to run back once, twice, three, four, five times. Is there something that you maybe, like, because you have a podcast, right? And you know what it's like to be a host. Did you, By the way, I've get, been podcasting since early 2000s. Before podcasting was a thing, but go ahead. Yeah, before it was cool, right? Before everyone has before it was even a word. Yeah, but like you, you, you're an author. You public speak. You share content. You're always creating. Is there something that you've maybe never shared before that 
is something new. Maybe something that's on your heart right now, something that's in your mind that you're like, dude, I got to get this out. Is it like a concept, an idea, an experience? Is there anything that you can think of that's like not out there and on the internet about Clinton people? No, a pretty open book. And I pretty much say what I feel uh, at all times. So it's not like I've been holding on to anything. A lot of people do hold on to things. So I, I'll end with a piece of advice for those people that do hold on to things. Because um, we all find ourselves chasing things, like chasing a new job, chasing a better life, chasing money. And we dedicate our life to chasing these things. And one thing that we don't recognize is that in our pursuit of chasing, what we don't realize is we're not just chasing something, we're actually running from something else, right? Running from past pain, trauma, being broke. We're running from something else. And a lot of us are running towards these things, not realizing that we're running from something else. And until you take the time to take care of those things that you're running from, on your quest to running for the things that you're trying to get, you'll We'll never be running from those things. You'll constantly be running with them, which will cause you to not get to what you're trying to get to as quickly as you'd like to. Or when you get there, it won't be as joyous because a lot of people fool themselves to believe that once they make their dreams a reality, that they've escaped their nightmares. And that's not true. You have to get rid of those nightmares first so that while you're chasing those dreams, you can chase them faster. You'll enjoy them better and they'll last longer. So that's what I'll end with. The art of letting go. I love the Clinton. Good stuff, man. Thanks, I, uh, I appreciate you. I appreciate you introducing me to your audience and giving me this opportunity to hopefully add value to, to other people that watch your show. And, and I appreciate you being a vessel for people like myself to be able to go out there and give uh, value to other people. If anybody wants to follow me, I got stuff like this going on all the time on my Instagram, my podcast. Um, at Clinton Sparks, at Clinton Sparks. I think my name's like on the bottom of us talking the whole time, but on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, the big YouTube, whatever it is, at Clinton Sparks. And I can't wait for you guys to see the global cultural disrupting company that I'm building that is going to not only change the world, and that's not in a cliche way, it genuinely is. I'm talking to India, Asia, Saudi Arabia, Latin America, like pulling all these worlds together building international bridges, uh, colliding cultures, and closing age gaps with this new business that I'm launching. I'm really excited, and I can't wait to share it. So if you care to watch the journey of me building it, follow me at Clinton Sparks. Get familiar. Get familiar, ladies and gentlemen. Clinton, I appreciate your time, brother. Have a great Thanks, day. Thanks, buddy. Bye, buddy. Be safe.